0: Good morning. Let's pray, shall we, as we spend some time together in God's Word. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for how you speak and how you change us and transform us. We thank you for this particular part of your Word as part of the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We ask, Father, today that you would, in particular, remove from us the ego that means that we are unprepared to hear when others would help us see our own sin. And we ask, Father, that this might be such that we would be men and women and children who live lives of repentance and so therefore seek forgiveness and salvation in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Four words that everybody dreads to hear. That wasn't one of them. Four words that everybody dreads to hear. We need to talk. You just know what's coming next, don't you? And you know that what comes next is not going to be good. Uh, I mean, perhaps it might be, I have something I need to tell you. That might be the alternative, right? And you're like, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure you're not going to tell me you forgot to water the plants last night. You know what's coming and you know it's not good. In particular, you know it's not good if you know you've been doing the wrong thing. You have that sort of sinking feeling you get when you've been caught. Not sinking as in you're disappearing, but the, the, your stomach, the pit of your stomach just kind of uh, not working for you. Right, It's—it's. Uh, it, it's, this is not working for me. Good. We'll use that one then. I wonder if the Corinthians were expecting it as they received Paul's letters. If his reputation went before him, right, you'd get the letter, we got one just yesterday at the door, handwritten, right, the first Christian church in Corinth, and you're like, yes, this is great, and you turn it over and you see that it's from Paul of Tarsus, and you just go, oh, (laughs) I know what his letters bring. And fair enough, right, the first letter, which we looked at a few years ago now, he wrote to them and he really, he climbed into them. I have heard, he says, that there are quarrels among you. I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it yet. He absolutely hammered them. Now, I suspect that much like the Corinthians, all of us have things that we regret. Certainly in the past, and perhaps even in the present. Activities, behaviours, decisions, thoughts that cause us grief or that would if we stop to think about them now here's today's sermon in one sentence the good end of godly sorrow is salvation the good end of godly sorrow is salvation and by the end of this time I want to talk to you about rebuke that is both accepting rebuke and causing or giving rebuke We're going to talk about both of those. And you might find one harder than the other. You might find it harder to accept rebuke. I suspect that's many of us. And some of us will find it very difficult to give rebuke. But it's serious. Salvation is at stake. I don't say that often. Now, as I speak, mostly I'm going to be focusing today on verses 8 to 11. That's kind of where the, the meat of what we're going to talk about is coming from. But you need to remember that it's set in the context of that relationship that we talked about last week. Really what's at stake here is the Corinthians' acceptance of Paul, the acceptance of God's word. Will they listen to what God has to say to them or will they not? And in the context of that, we talk about rebuke. So, three points. Here's my first one. Godly sorrow is good. Godly grief, godly repentance is good. We live in a culture, in a society, in a day and an age where pain is just about the worst possible thing. You stop and think for a moment about any facet of life, and whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, uh, the pain of not being able to carry out my own dreams, everything has to be done to remove pain old age is all about minimizing pain Uh, you're not allowed to hurt my feelings Okay, You, you can do whatever you want but as soon as it starts to hurt my feelings you're not allowed to do it anymore you're not allowed to get in the way of me achieving what it is that I want to achieve even if what I want to achieve is ludicrous the world says to us pain bad must not happen which is not true is it because pain is a very good thing it really is. However much we, we may not believe it, pain is a God-given mechanism to tell us that something is wrong. I mean, think about what happens for a moment. You touch, you touch something hot. It hurts. Why does it hurt? So that you will do something about it and stop touching the hot thing. Most of us do. Hey, hey, hey. It triggers a response. It's not just a physical thing, emotionally as well. You feel threatened, you feel a degree of pain by that. What do you do? It triggers a response. You remove yourself from that situation. See, godly grief, godly sorrow is to sin what pain is to injury. It tells us something's wrong. Guilt feelings are good. Well, to a certain extent. It's possible to push that too far, isn't it? To have guilt over what you shouldn't be guilty of. Have a look at verse 8, where well, we pick it up just there, right? As Paul reflects upon this process as he wrote the letter to them and then heard back from them eventually, verse 8, even if I caused you, and we're in 2 Corinthians 7, by the way, because you've got your Bible open there, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. So I did regret it. He did have some guilt over it. However, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy because you were made sorry. So it is possible to feel some guilt over stuff, as Paul felt about it for a while, and then realize, no, I shouldn't have felt that guilt. That was the right thing to do. However, godly sorrow is good. Now, let me point out the difference then between godly sorrow and worldly Sorrow. Both are in this passage. Look down at verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Reflecting on those two, the the distinction between the two, worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, what's the difference? I mean, both of them you're feeling sorry, I take it, for what you did. Well, I think worldly sorrow is going to be Centered, focused on me. I am sorry that I got caught. I am sorry that I'm going to be punished. I am sorry that I'm going to be humiliated. My ego, whether it's proud or fearful, can't handle what's going to happen next. But feeling sorry is not necessarily a sign of godliness. No, godly sorrow, on the other hand, is regret because God has been wounded if I can put it that way. Because I have grieved God. Because I have dishonoured God's name. See, worldly sorrow is going to lead to whatever it is that's going to help me. I'm going to try and make sure I don't get caught next time. Or minimise the punishment for this time. Whereas godly sorrow leads to much more than that. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Feeling sorry is not the same as repenting. Oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry for that. I'm very sorry. And I'm going to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> well, that, that I means nothing, right? Feeling sorry is not the same as repentance. No, repentance comes about as God's word puts its finger in our lives and says, what is that? Begins with that godly sorrow, that uncomfortableness, that guilt at dishonouring him. And it then produces a change. That's the word repentance, is just to turn around. To stop going this way and to start going that way. It means to deal with the consequences. In one sense, you could say that whether you repent or not is the test of whether this sorrow was godly. Did you change? Did you stop? It was interesting, Paul, as he looks at the Corinthians, knows that what they experienced was godly sorrow because of their repentance. Look back up at verse 7 as Titus comes and tells Paul about what happened in Corinth. He says, right, we were comforted by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about what happened, about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern, so that my joy was greater than ever. Down at verse 11, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Earnestness, eagerness to clear yourselves, indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done at every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. They weren't just, oh, I'm sorry and that's it. No, the sorrow that their sin produced brought about change, transformation, repentance, Godly sorrow may well grieve you, it is right then to know your guilt, that it might produce repentance, such that you will come then and know forgiveness. It's no surprise, right, that the gospel call, what we ask people to do in response to hearing about Jesus is, believe and repent. And see, thirdly then, we see that godly sorrow leads to salvation. And I can tell you, that is a big claim. It's not often that we get up to preach and we say, your salvation depends upon... Not often that we talk about that. And yet again, verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings Death. It helps us understand a little bit Paul's heart in this matter, right? I mean, if you remember last week, or if you heard in verse five as we went through, uh, we came to Macedonia. We had no rest. uh, Conflicts on the outside, fears within. What was in his heart for the church in Corinth? He's like, uh, there are two. There are two paths here, right? There are two paths when you hear God's word and God's word produces in you a response to what you have heard. You can choose to do one of two things. You can listen to it. You can be challenged by God such that your sorrow is godly. You repent of what you have done and you turn back to the Lord seeking forgiveness. Or you can just pursue, well, anything else that worldly sorrow has prompted. No wonder he was afraid for them. But he has seen... That in fact the gospel rebuked them rightly. The word of God produced in them repentance. And that repentance brings salvation. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a rebuke. It's impossible to hear the good news about what Jesus has done without hearing, You are sinful. That, that's where it begins. That's where the gospel starts. You are a person that is in the, the, the war path of God. The wrath of God is coming because of who you are. I mean, it, it's a direct attack upon each one of us. It is impossible to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ without it rebuking you. How will you respond? Do you respond with a godly sorrow that is grieved at the sin, that is grieved at the relationship, the broken relationship with God, that is grieved at the way that you have dishonoured your maker? Or are you just sorry you got caught? It's why the gospel work always invites persecution. And by gospel work, I don't mean, you know, what the the pastors do, what our missionaries do as we send. when I say gospel work, I mean when you speak to somebody about Jesus, when you live Jesus' ways, when you speak his words, it always invites persecution, for by its very nature, the gospel is a rebuke. The question is, do we respond with godly sorrow that produces repentance And so leads to salvation. Now, by way of application this morning, I want to talk about two things that are very closely related. The first is this. Are you willing to accept godly rebuke? Are you willing to accept godly suffering that is caused by rebuke? Are you prepared for your brothers and sisters in Christ? As they stand with you to bring God's word to bear into your life that they may help you see your own sin. Now look, let's be honest. Odds are fairly high that when someone rebukes us, you're going to feel bad. I mean, there's the pain, right? There's that response. How are you going to respond? Denial? Denial? defensively angrily attacking them back ah well but ignore it dispute it no you don't know all the facts desire to get out of it we ought to be quick to listen i mean by all means evaluate what you're being told I'm not saying anytime anyone brings a complaint against you, well, okay, I guess I'm in the wrong, you've got to accept it, evaluate it by all means. But here's, here's a top tip, give yourself time to process it. Most of us, our first thoughts, our immediate reaction when we are rebuked, when we're confronted with our own sin, are usually not particularly good. So listen. If you need to clarify, clarify by all means, but then give yourself time to think. But here's the point when your sin is pointed out to you and you are a sinner just as much as I am a sinner when your sin is pointed out to you particularly by the word of God let that godly sorrow produce repentance acknowledge your wrong seek reconciliation. If if you need to make it up somehow, if you need to deal with the consequences, if you need to pay for what you've done wrong, and I don't just mean money, then do it. And then give your sin to God to forgive you. Let that guilt be dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has paid for it. Be willing to accept godly suffering. And secondly, and I left this last Very much on purpose. Be willing to cause godly suffering. Now you might find it really easy to rebuke others. And that's bad. But you know what? You might also find it really hard to rebuke others. And that's also bad. It's bad if you find it really easy because you are inevitably going to be too quick to jump to it and too brutal in doing it. It it will not build anybody up. It will only ever cut them down. But it's bad if you find it too hard because you will never do it. The wounds of a friend, there is great blessing in them, we read in Proverbs. Come to Galatians chapter 6. See, how are we going to go about rebuking each other? Come over to Galatians, just a couple of pages towards the back of your Bible. In fact, it's the very next book. Paul sets out for us in these three or four verses a, a great model for how to do it, a beautiful picture of it. All right, chapter six of Galatians, verse one, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now just stop there for a moment, right? You who are spiritual, restore them gently. Jesus put it this way, right? Take the plank out of your own eye first, before you pick the speck out of theirs. He's not saying don't take the speck out of theirs, but make sure where you are standing first. Make sure that you yourself are okay. That the sin that they're in the middle of, you're not in the middle of too, or worse. Be honest with yourself first. And watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Tempted to what? I mean, what are you going to be tempted to as you're in the middle of rebuking someone else? Or maybe you're going to get tempted to the same thing they're doing. But I think more likely, and certainly the case in Galatians 6, you're going to be tempted to pride. Tempted to seeing yourself as better than them. They as worse than you. No, rather restore them gently. Carry, verse 2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. See, if you're going to go and rebuke somebody, and I... Right? There's a time and a place for it. You've seen sin in their life. Stop and reflect first. Am I doing this because I think I'm better? Am I doing this because I see them as worse? Am I doing this because off the top of my high horse I can look down and see their muck? If that's the case, then don't do it. You need to go and sort yourself out first. No, rather, rebuke. Restore gently. That's the aim, isn't it? It's not that we want to cut each other down. The aim is restoration. The aim is to see our brother and sister in Christ living for Jesus. Living his way. That is what we want to see. So I I really don't want to see after church a bunch of gripes being raised. Right? Church finishes, we all stand up, and all you can hear is oh, there's something I want to tell you, and you're just, oh, I've been saving it up for 27 years, right? This isn't just about a whinge that you've got. Somebody chewing too loudly is not sinful. Perhaps if that's you, you need to learn forgiveness rather than how to rebuke. But, but, we must let God's word shine into the darkness in our lives in such a way that it will do it for ourselves. You need to let God's word shine into your own life that it might cause this, and then do it in the lives of your brothers and sisters, that it will produce godly sorrow that brings about repentance, leading to our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the Apostle Paul that he was not afraid to hold back he was not afraid to put himself forward that he was able to speak what was needed when it was needed in order to bring about repentance and salvation Father we ask that you would do that work in each one of our lives as we sit under your word as you transform us and challenge us that we wouldn't ignore it but rather that we too would have our consciences pricked, that we would see our sin and repent. Father, help us to be like Paul in being prepared to speak into each other's lives, gently, carefully, lovingly, humbly. And remove from us, Father, please, the pride that is unable to hear any sort of rebuke. Instead, Father, help us to be honest to know when we have wronged you and to be prepared to be restored in love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.